food ministry. We, uh, I said it at 11.30. We never know when the truck's going to show up. But if you get there at 11.30 to help us out, we have a number of things to do to straighten up and follow us while you're But there's, we got word from the uh, food bank that due to the increased volume of bags, so we need help. And then Saturday, uh, if you're willing, and it'll be good of the land. That's out of Isaiah one. The sometimes you remember, and we'll read some of these scriptures together about the anger of the Lord being aroused. Uh, you remember when in first these people, uh, you're to just make a huge offering of sacrifice. The Lord had said every every oxen or cattle is supposed to be on the sacrificial buyer and the prophet, one of my favorite places is where the prophet Samuel comes up and says, uh, have you done exactly what the Lord your God told you to do? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. To the letter. Cows move. Right. <laughs> well, that wasn't me. You remember, Saul? Yeah. That wasn't me. I, that that was those people that I'm the king of. That was that, that was their bad. Now Samuel says, No, God said it was your bad. You knew what I instructed and you did not follow through. And that's when the Lord pulled his hand of anointing off of Saul as king. There's many places in the Bible, person or group, <clears throat> against Israel. Uh, what are reasons why the Lord's anger may be kindled? And we'll take you through some scriptures about it. Yeah. Are you talking specifically just against his people or in general? In general. Maybe because... The wrath of the Lord came down upon all kinds of other people. The fish pukes him up on the shore, and he makes uh, the journey to Babylon, I mean, mean to Nineveh, and he starts at the one boundary, and he's preaching, and everywhere he goes he preaches, and the people fall under great conviction. These are not Jews. These are these are from other other places. They're not Jews. Uh, just insert here a little bit. One of our favorite false teachers today is teaching that uh, we should not lay God's word on the world and tell them that God's going to judge them for that. Says, that's, no, that's, that's unfair. That's our word, that's not their word. Well, the Bible says that God can share His word with whoever He wants to share the word. And He sends a Jewish, a Jewish prophet to a pagan, godless, well, they had many gods, but not one true God, and preached judgment, and they repented, and God forgave them. Amen? But 100 years later, 100 years later, the prophet Nahum 
is sent to the exact same people because they had turned away from the Lord and God's judgment fell upon Nineveh. So recidivistic, uh, mark that word down, uh, recidivistic. And uh, what are some other reasons that God judges or his wrath is displayed, his anger is displayed? We see disobedience, continual disobedience, not doing the specifics. Yeah. Sometimes he'll use a situation where people deserve judgment or punishment and he will obviously bring down judgment and punishment, but another reason for that is to show his justice, the fact that he's just and holy and that you know you can only go so far. And so like it, it's a display of one of his attributes. It's, it, it shows his justice, his righteousness. It also lets you know there are consequences when you violate God's word. What happens to the parent who, dealing with their child, says, you do that one more time, and there's going to be consequences. <laughs> And they do it again, and no consequences. And if you do that again, I'm going to do thus and so. And the kid knows. He's well trained. They don't need it. And all you do is, that parent is causing that child to be cemented in disobedience. Because there's no consequence. So, as was mentioned, God's anger is kindled because of His great love for His people. And He doesn't want them to think, oh, God will wink at that. It'll be alright. We don't have to repent. Uh, everything's going to turn out alright. God wouldn't send anybody to hell. There's no judgment at the end time. There's none of that stuff. No lake of fire. Uh, none of that. Uh, write that off. God brings His anger to bear and judgment because of His mercy and His love. He doesn't want people to think, hey, there's no consequence. There's no consequence. Anything else you can think of why God's anger is aroused. <clears throat> what? Yeah. Uh, harming or murdering um, innocent lives, shedding innocent blood. Okay, shedding innocent blood where, where uh, his anger was kindled at one point, you remember, when David had gone to live with the Philistines and was uh, just a mess, lying through his teeth and and everything, uh, the Lord's anger was kindled against David. Uh, let's look up some of these verses about the anger of the Lord. Uh, can I get somebody to read for us? 2 Samuel 6, verses 6 through 8. Who'll do that? Jamie's got that. Pastor Jamie's got that. Uh, 2 Kings 13 and 3. Oh, Lena's got that. Okay. Then, 2 Kings 
22.13. Okay. Uh, Sam's got that. And let me turn the page here. 2 Kings 22.16 and 17. Mary Lou's got that. 2 Kings 23.26. I'm pushing my luck, I understand. <laughs> okay, I'll take that one. Isaiah 5.25. Okay, Quentin's got that. You were waiting to get out of the Kings, right? Yeah. Okay. Didn't want to do that? Okay. Okay. 2 Samuel 6. Let me back up. 2 Samuel 6. Not that part. Verses 6 through 8. But when they came to the threshing floor of Nathan, Uzzah reached out towards the ark of God and took hold of it. And the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence. And he died there by the ark of God. David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. And that place is called Brez Uzzah to this day. Yeah, you remember the story where uh, the Ark of the Covenant had been taken captive by the uh, Philistines. Uh, the people of Israel had gotten to the place where they viewed the Ark of the Covenant as their magic, uh, magic box. And they would always win because that was a symbol of God's presence. But God is not confined to some box. It's not magic. It's relationship. And uh, so they took it to battle and they got beat. And uh, you remember Eli the high priest, his two sons were killed and uh, he died when they got the news that the ark had been lost. Uh, his daughter-in-law goes into labor. Her son is born and they called him what? Ichabod. Ichabod. Ichabod, the glory is departed. Well, for a period of time then, the Ark of God was in Philistine hands, and they didn't like it after a couple of moments or so, because uh, they were putting it in as a trophy case in their temples and shrines to Dagon, one of their false gods, and Dagon didn't fare too well against the ark of the Lord. <laughs> Fell on his face, and one day they propped him back up. Yeah, people are always trying to prop up their false gods. And propped him back up. The next day, his head's gone, his hands are gone. Right. And they said, we, let, let's get this thing out of here. And so they, they sent it, they put it on a cart. It was never designed to go on a cart. Right. It was to be borne on the shoulders of God's priesthood. God had a reason. Everything that God does, He has a reason for it. He doesn't have to tell you the reason. Right. He's not obligated. But we see throughout Scripture some of these principles. We don't have time to go into all, all of them tonight. But the, the, the symbol there is that the presence of God is not carried into the world by a machine or a mechanism it's on the shoulders of God's people to take the presence of God out into the world. We can't just rely on, on uh, social media and, and uh, uh, television and radio and podcasts and whatever 
It's on your shoulders and mine. We're the priests of the Most High God. And we're to take the presence of the Lord out into the world. So symbolism is there. Well, they all knew that. They knew that that was not the way. So they decided, well, the one group decided, let's look in the box. You know, <laughs> I know we're not supposed to. We're not supposed to look in the, in the box. It's supposed to be covered up. But we can just peek. I mean, what's the harm? <laughs> 20,000 people later, they found out what the harm was. Because the ark is a symbol of Jesus Christ and His presence. I'll get into my Old Testament stuff here in a moment, my, my tabernacle studies. I don't want to do that tonight. So then they decided, well... Because all those people died, we need to get rid of the box too. <laughs> I mean, we're Jews, and we just buried a bunch of folk here. A bunch of good Jewish brothers from the neighborhood. Let's get it out of town. And so they put it back on the same cart that they knew was not the way it was to be. And they knew that they weren't to touch it or come near it. And yet they did it anyway. You say, well, it was just an accident. Well, yeah. yeah. I, only, I mean, for a while I struggled with that until I came to the realization that this happens all the time in the real world. When we're given certain parameters uh, to live by, whether they're supernatural, that God, God-given parameters, or just given to us, you know, speed limits, seat belts, you know, all kinds of other things. And... Um, it may have been an accident, but still, ultimately, I was going 110 miles an hour. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Like, and so, but, but I felt bad for the guy, you know, but it was one of those things that's like, well, what are you going to do? God gave the parameters. You guys knew what they were. He shouldn't have been anywhere near that thing. Do we feel badly for the people that were shot and killed at the short north? Yeah, yeah. of course we do. But, what time did it happen? 2 o'clock. 2, 2.30 in the morning. And where did they just come from? Who's in at the bars? Got into fights? And uh, some of the residents of the area says, My grandmother told me, no good thing happens after midnight. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we feel badly about it, but uh, don't be be don't put yourself in those bad situations. So, so the anger of the Lord was kindled because he disregarded God's ways, God's word, even though he knew better. He knew better. Okay, Second uh, Kings thirteen three. Okay. Uh, then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and He delivered them into the hand of Hazrael, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben Hadad, the son of Hazel, all their days. This is at a period of time when they have turned their back on the worship of the one true God and following after the gods of the Syrians. 
still was okay. I'm taking my hands off of you. A protection. You want to worship their gods? You're going to come underneath their rule. All the days that those kings reigned, Israel was subject under them. Remember in studying in 2 Kings, you remember during the ministry of Elisha, Elijah and Elisha, that uh, you remember the story of Naaman? His name was Naaman. He had leprosy. He was a Syrian commander in chief of the of the armies of Syria. And they were making regular raiding parties down, robbing the Israelis blind. Uh this was that period of time where they had adopted the false gods of other countries and the Lord says okay that's what you want that's what you get it was an act of his anger he pulled his hands off because he couldn't bless them they were not blessable because they were moving away from the worship of the one true God Second Kings 22, verse 13. Go inquire of all the Lord, yeah, of the Lord for me, and for the people, and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book, to do according to all that is written concerning us. Okay. They had the word. They disobeyed. And the Lord, we put in our, the, the people of Israel, and we today, we put ourselves in a position where God, to be just and righteous, can't bless us. What would it mean if He blessed us and we're disobeying His word? What would that do to the whole system? It would, he, it would be impossible to do of God's perfect nature. I mean, he can't do something that goes against his nature. He's perfectly just, so he has to remain perfectly just. It just it's a it's an inconsistency. He can't have it. Um, I don't know if you've experienced I, I imagine you have when uh, different times when I used to substitute teach in a Christian school like, or I was in charge of ministry up at Heartland and people would and that's what what happened here, they had disobeyed Uh, this is what the Lord says, I am going to bring disaster into this place and they've forsaken me and have brought in all of these idols and false worship Uh, Okay, this was what I was taking, right? Second Kings uh, 23-26 Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of His great wrath with which His anger was aroused against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. Manasseh was went down as the most wicked king in Judah. I mean, Judah had some decent kings. You got Hezekiah and Josiah. But Manasseh 
was just a mess. Everything he did was an in-your-face to God. And the Lord said, My anger was aroused against Judah because they were following the lead of Manasseh, their king. Isaiah uh, 5.25 Therefore the anger of the Lord is aroused against his people. He has stretched out his hand against them, and stricken them, and the hills trembled. Their carcasses were as refuse in the most distant streets. For all his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Okay, once again, because God is love, but he is also just. If he lets his people get away with sin and doesn't ever judge it, then he's telling the whole world, you live however you want. There's no consequence. There's no no consequence. Yeah. Or worse yet, his consequences are completely random mm-hmm. and uh, inconsistent, yeah. which would make it, that, that's the God of Allah. I mean, that's the God mm-hmm. of uh, Islam. You just have no idea what he's going to approve of or what he's not going to approve of. And so that would be a horrible way to live. Yeah. The, uh, I find it interesting, uh, one of the shows that, that I have liked to watch, but is FBI, FBI, the original one there. And one of the main characters, FBI agent, is a devout Muslim. And the last episode was painting Islam as a totally peaceful, benevolent religion and way of life. So, really. Okay. Uh, you know, we know it not to be so. The uh, So these these are different. There's hundreds of passages where the anger of the Lord was aroused. Because he loves you. Let's say, uh, let's, let's pick on Andy for a second. I'll pick on Andy. Okay, Andy? I'll pick on you for a second. Let's say we, we really like Andy, we really like Andy, but Andy goes and does something that we cannot tolerate. Uh, it doesn't mean we love him any less. Right. What I do. But and he would. I would have in my past life. Yes. But God's love for Andy will not allow God to just wink at an egregious sin, because then Andy's not going to stop sinning. He's empowered and actually encouraged to keep on sinning. So, uh, that's the first part of that verse. 
the anger, then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. His anger is aroused when people turn away from following God's ways and God's word, when people thought they knew better than God, when people thought they could handle anything and forgot it was the Lord who gave them the victory, when leaders disregarded God's plan. Now you remember last time we were in chapter 23, and it's talking about the mighty men of David. And talking about all their victories. But you remember, as we were studying, the Lord gave them a great victory, it said. After each one of those, they fought off 600 men. And the Lord gave them great victory. And the Lord gave them. And then down in the rest of the mighty men of valor, the Lord gave them victory. It, it's, it's implied by the context that... God's anger is aroused against Israel because there's a sense in which successes can mess with us. When we're arrogant, disregard uh, God's plan, the Lord had given the victories, not man. It was nothing about Israel. Most of the army ran away, remember? Last, last week? They were, they were running. One guy was standing left. And the Lord used him to win a great victory. But it wasn't man's victory. It was the victory of the Lord. But the attitude of Israel became, we are invincible. We can't be touched. We, we're the best. We're number one. But nobody can touch us. Have you ever watched a sporting activity where one team came in believing they could not lose? They were the best of the best of the best. And they just got wiped out all over the field. Because success can numb you to reality. People of Israel, hey, one dude knocked out 800 who can touch us. They developed an attitude that might makes right. And, and there was a sense that, boy, this is how many fighting men we got. David is getting ready to see, well, I, I want to know how many we have. And uh, taking pride in the successes What's the trouble with success? Yeah. Is there a trouble with success? It goes to your head. What? It goes to your head and you think that like you're, you're invisible. I can yeah. do anything. I can do it. I'm untouchable. You could try and get better. Yeah. Why, why get better? You're the best. <laughs> you know, I, I remember this was years ago when Georgetown basketball was the program and they had all those seven foot guys on their front line they had three seven footers okay and Patrick Ewing you know some of those some of those guys were the Georgetown team and according to the commentators it was a foregone conclusion that 
Villanova had no chance against it. They didn't have anybody. You may have already lost. I mean, they could just hold. And Israel had gotten to a place where they thought, we're untouchable. We're, we're invincible. And it also, likewise, it seems, has gone to David's head and his heart. And we'll figure out uh, that next line. They thought that they knew better, that they could handle anything, and uh, they forgot the victories were the Lord's, not theirs. And any time we forget the victories belong to Him, and we start believing our own press clippings, we're in trouble. If it had not been for the Lord on my side, tell me where would I be? Where would I be? We, we cannot afford to forget the most successful things of your life are not because of you. Well, Pastor, I, I beg to differ. I'm very intelligent, uh, articulate. Uh, I have all these skills and abilities, and I think it ought to be, I ought to be able to take credit where credit is due, and I'm due the credit. Sure, go ahead. But who gave you that last breath you breathed? Who gave you that ability to have intelligence, be able to discern things. That's one of the, the dichotomies we see between Bible characters, especially New Testament characters, and many of the things that are happening today in the religious world. We're told to, how great we are, how wonderful we are. But Paul's always saying, I'm just a servant of Jesus Christ. And John the Baptist, I must decrease. He must increase. That's a, a totally foreign concept today of the aspect of humility. And you say, well, are you supposed to lie? Because you were good. Yeah. But you need to defer. Praise God. Without the Lord, I'm nothing. How about you? If you think you're something without God, when <laughs> what? You, you're, you're something, all right. Yeah. Uh, you're headed for a. You know, take heed lest you fall. And uh, the people of Israel have gotten into an attitude, and the king is back at the place he was a few chapters ago. You remember? David had just consolidated his kingdom. Everything was going well. He had all of Israel under control. He was the man. And he said, you know, rather than go out and fight in the battles in the spring, I'm just going to stay here. We can handle this. My generals, they can handle this. I'm supposed to be out there. When all the other kings went out to war, David 
didn't. And that was the beginning of his greatest folly. So, most commentators looking at this portion of Scripture, the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel and uh, basically David's attitude because the Lord knows our hearts. And David is uh, thinking he's pretty sharp. Now there's the portion of Scripture that gives people a little bit of a problem here and we're going to look at that now. And he moved David. In the original Hebrew there's no punctuation. Uh, most commentators that I've, I've read, read of say there's a period at the end of the one phrase and the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel. Period. It's, just, it's not in the original. There was no punctuations. And the next is a totally different thought of something that's happening with David. And he moved David, or David was moved in the Hebrew. Two, pos two main, there's many interpretations, but two main interpretations from those of us who believe the Bible means what it says. The word there, moved, and he moved David, or David was moved. The word there is, let's see if I've got it on here. The word, now how would you pronounce that? Good. Yeah. That's what I thought. I saw it. Well, God just got no cooth. But it's sook. 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 I don't know why. I don't know Hebrew that well. Um, I just study the books about Hebrew. So, and it means to prod or stir up or provoke. One interpretation, one way of looking at this story, it's not the way I choose to look at it, but uh, is that the Lord saw how David was moving and just gave him the nudges. Oh, do what you want to do. And David did. He was swooped. He was prodded or provoked into it. You say, well, is there a scriptural precedent for that? Yeah, quite a bit. Remember the story back in uh, 2 Chronicles 18 very famous story. King Ahab in the northern kingdoms uh, came to King Jehoshaphat, old jumping Jehoshaphat, down in Judah, and said, these nations around us are wanting us to pay tribute to each other and will win a great victory over all of these, these enemies. And uh, so King Jehoshaphat, who was a godly king, said, uh, well, you know, I'd feel better about it if we heard from the Lord. <laughs> what a concept. You know, no, sounds like a good idea. No, uh, Ahab wanted nothing to do with the, the real God. He had Baal worship and old Jezebel and her charms and whatever. Well, so he brought in some of his false prophets. And the false prophets, they had 
King Ahab sitting here, King Jehoshaphat sitting on another portable throne, and he had King Ahab had all of these of his false prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth come in, and they danced and sang and did all kinds of stuff. It says, oh kings, oh kings, the Lord is saying, go ahead. Nothing but victory is going to come to you. You will, you will not experience any loss. Victory, victory, victory is yours. <clears throat> and then they left the stage. <coughs> Jehoshaphat was not fooled. Jehosh Jehoshaphat says, uh, I was thinking of a prophet of the Most High God. Is what I was looking at. Uh, our Jewish God here. And the king says, okay. So he sends for a guy by the name <coughs> of Micaiah. And uh, Micaiah comes in, and King Ahab's been trying to get rid of him for years. And uh, he's stayed a little ahead of, of King Ahab. And he says, Now listen, Micaiah. We've got King Jehoshaphat here. Don't be that way. The way you always are with me. Picking at me and saying mean things. Don't do it. We've got a king here. If you don't respect me, at least honor him. And he, he wants to know if God's behind this unifying of our two nations for a battle against these kings. And Micaiah steps up. He says, hear the word of the Lord. Yes, go and do exactly what you are thinking and planning. Lord's with you. Victory, victory, victory. And even Ahab realizes he's mocking him. <coughs> he says, hey, don't mess with me. Tell him what, what God's saying. And he points his finger and he says, you're going you're gonna to all perish if you do that. Well, <laughs> so the King Jehoshaphat says, well, I don't think we'll go that way. Sometimes the Lord says, yeah, do what you want to do. Go ahead. Yeah, go for it. Man says, I've had such a great crop. I'm such a great farmer. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And he did. But the Lord said, stupid, stupid, <laughs> stupid. This night, your soul's required of you. And who's going to get all the stuff that you left behind? So one interpretation is that the Lord was prodding him to do what he wanted to do anyway. Oh, go for it. Go ahead, David. That's what you want to do? You think you're such a great king and <clears throat> your people, go ahead and number them and get all puffed up with how mighty your army is. That's one possibility. Uh, let me take you to another one, the one that I believe is, is more accurate. I'm not telling what you have to believe. I'm just thinking so. It's possible, but not probable. Because Scripture is best interpreted 
power by Scripture. And so, in the, the two witnesses that we have, we can go to First Chronicles chapter 21, which is relating the same episode, and see how it reads. First Chronicles 21, rather than have you read it, I'm going to read it for you. Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Satan moved him. And the word is the same exact word, Sufi. So God's anger was kindled because they were moving away from dependence upon the Lord and Satan stepped in in the midst of all their successes and moved or prodded David to number the people, the fighting men, so that he could feel good about it. So, what happens? Who does David first give this order to to go number the fighting men across all of Israel? Who does he tell them? Joab, who's his commander. He's the main dude. He's the, he's the five-star general of the day. He's the Norman Schwarzkopf of the, of the episode. And uh, Joab knows it's a Wrong, it's not of God. Joseph answered, May the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. But my Lord the King, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt in Israel? Joab sees this is a stupid move. And it goes against God. He basically, what does he basically tell David about the numbering of the military men, the fighting men? Doesn't matter. God will add to the number, it doesn't matter how many. Doesn't matter how many you got. God's able to raise up a hundred times that many. He could have gone back and reminded David, hey, how many did you need to bring down Goliath? Well. Did you need all the armies? Of, no. I just needed the Lord. Huh. And in all of those other battles, was it you or was it God? You know, Joab is, is right on point. He said, King, what are you doing? You think that your confidence can be placed in how many fighting men you have? God is able to raise up stones out of the ground. And he can, he can fight battles with whirlwinds and hailstones. Uh, he can raise up a hundred times what we have. Don't do this. Don't put your trust in the numbers game. Don't put your trust in the numbers game. Nevertheless, verse 4 of, of 1 Chronicles 21. Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore, Joab, he saluted, 
mumbling under his breath, what a stupid ruse. Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. And then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to David. All Israel had one million one hundred thousand men who drew the sword. And Judah had four hundred and seventy thousand men who drew the sword. But he did not count Levi and Benjamin Levi or Benjamin among them. For the king's word was abominable. Oh, the king's word was abominable to Joab. What does that mean? What's abominable? They, they, they thought the idea was ridiculous and they wanted nothing to do with it. They spat on it. <clears throat> Joab, you see what it says in verse 6? He did not count Levi, Levi, he didn't count the priesthood in the numbers. And he didn't count the tribe of Benjamin in the numbers. Because the king's word was an abomination to Joab. And God was displeased with this thing, therefore he struck Israel. Look at verse 8. So David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. But now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. David acknowledges it was not God who souped him to number. He was led away by his own desires and temptation, and he's acted foolishly. What a stupid thing to do, David. Your victories didn't come because of how many men you had. And if we think that we're winning the victories, we're headed for a fall. And David was headed for a big, big lesson here. Sooth. If you forgot everything else, remember sooth. Spelled with a C. So, the he, basically, of 2 Samuel 24 is Satan, not God. Different subject, yeah. Interesting, my translation says that, uh, now again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and it incited David, because the word incite, it literally says, there was who moved David against them. It doesn't say who did it. Right. It says that something moved against David. Yeah. And so it doesn't even put the, the he that God did it because mm -hmm. that doesn't appear to be the case. It doesn't say who There's did no it. pronoun in there. Right. There's no yeah. pronoun yeah. in the original text. And so between those two, do you understand why I lean heavily on the scripture correlation from First uh, Chronicles 21? It's very clear that Satan's the one who soothed David. And uh, it didn't take much for him to soup him, right? Uh, right. How many of you uh, can be easily soothed? <laughs> huh? Maybe you get your, your mind set on something. <laughs> get your mind set on something. And people can tell you, well, that's a stupid idea. Yeah. 
And I pray, Father, that you would keep people away from his path that would be a negative influence about Christianity and Christ. We pray, Father, for continued recovery of Tammy and Jerry, that, Father, that you would just continue to minister to them. Uh, they were both anxious to get out of the hospital, but we, we pray, Father, that you would just continue to strengthen them day by day and encourage them with progress. For our unsaved loved ones, those that are being prodded by the enemy in a, in a disastrous direction, that, Father God, that you would let them see the error of their ways. Let them see your great love for them and that you have a plan for their lives and for their eternity. We're asking, Father, for you to likewise lead people across their path. If they've heard the word before, it's in there, Father. And I pray that you, by the Holy Spirit, would touch it and guide them into all truth. Father, for our upcoming outreach to our community, we're reminded each month so much of all the needs that are in our area. Father, we watch the news and we see the, the shooting gallery of, of Wedgwood Apartments and, and the short north and, and this side of town we're, we're under Satan's attack. We pray, Father, we would be a lighthouse. We would be a witness. And that as we minister and give bread in Jesus' name and, and sustenance and we pray that, Father God, Lives will be changed for eternity's sake. We pray, Father, for laborers for our, our work this weekend. For all of these things, Father, we also lift up Camp Syker. It's been such an impact on my life personally. Thank you for meeting me there many years ago, calling me into your service. And I ask, Father, that you would make a miracle happen so that other generations can likewise experience a time of meeting you at an altar of prayer. We ask your touch in Jesus' name tonight. Amen. Amen.
it's not all. I'm going to take it from Okay. I sent the money to him to start expressing. Yeah. I haven't heard, they haven't sent me the application for Efficiency is not their, their uh, I know. So Tuesday is the breakfast, right? Yeah, next Tuesday. Where's that? It's up in uh, Powell. It's right near the, uh, it's at a convention place. It's right near the zoo. Okay. You can go online and get directions okay, I'll do that. where it is. People work with hoodies and hats and dude, it's 80 degrees outside. Yeah, and their parents are down here. Yeah. We had a guy last night show up for work, had purple shorts on with mushrooms on it, and said, let's do it. Oh, no. 